Well, if you are visiting with us today, we are in a sermon series for Advent, looking at the traditional themes of Advent. Uh, we began two weeks ago looking at hope and then joy, uh, and this week we have uh, the pleasure of looking at peace. And to assist us in that, I have the wrong verse on the screen, but that's actually Romans. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. Uh, the page number is correct, incidentally. Uh, but the passage is incorrect. We're in Romans chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 11. Okay, hear the word of the Lord. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, continues his letter in chapter 5, saying, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that we have peace with you through the blood of Jesus, through being justified by faith. So many grand truths are spoken by Paul in these uh, short words. And we ask, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would illuminate them for us and that you would help us glory in the fact that through Christ, we sinners may have peace with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the desire for peace, I believe, is a universal human longing. Uh, wars are even fought with the hope of establishing peace. Just think about it. Hamas attacked Israel with the hope of having peace. Now, they imagined peace would come by destroying Israel, but still the desire was for peace. I did a quick Google search of some famous songs with the subject of peace, and there are many, I can assure you. Uh, some songs, like Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind, almost have a hopeless despair 
about the possibility of finding peace. Uh, He sings this, How many seas must a white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand? Yes, and how many times must the cannonballs fly before they're forever banned? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. And then there's uh, John Lennon's famous song, Imagine, and he, he's quite confident that he knows where peace can be found. Uh, he suggests that peace can be found as soon as we realize there's no heaven or hell. If we get rid of international borders, property ownership, and religion, then we will have nothing to kill or die for. Ironically, we'll have nothing to live for either. But sure, maybe there could be peace that way. So, is it even possible to have peace? Bob Dylan, he's a little more skeptical. John Lennon is confident, but in what? Well, the answer to that question from the pages of Scripture is yes. During this season, we remember that God sent his own son into the world. The prophet Isaiah predicted his coming with these well-known words. He says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. But Jesus came into the world over 2,000 years ago. And there's still no peace. We don't believe this was a false prophecy from Isaiah. So what kind of peace did Jesus bring? What kind of peace is available to us because our mighty God was born on Christmas morn? Well, to answer that question, the first thing we're going to look at this morning is the kind of peace God offers sinners And then what it's like to have peace with God. And finally, how peace with God makes us peacemakers. So first, the kind of peace God offers sinners. So if we say the word peace, typically different things come to people's mind. Some people hear the word peace and they imagine world peace where there is no more international conflicts whatsoever. Other people think more about internal peace and well-being, that sense that all is right with the world. Some, when they think of peace, they, uh, they imagine no more conflict between individuals, brothers and sisters, in peace with each other, which is what I would like for my home, personally. That would be great. Husband and wife at peace with one another. But what kind of peace do we celebrate at Christmas? Did Jesus come into the world to establish world peace? Did Jesus come so you and I would certainly have peace inside our hearts? Did Jesus come so that brother and sister, husband and wife, would no longer ever fight with each other? What kind of peace is God offering each and every one of us this Christmas That's the question I hope to answer this morning. Our passage begins in the middle of Paul's letter to the Romans. And Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so up through chapter 4 in the book of Romans, Paul has been explaining that God justifies sinners by faith. And now he wants us to know that since we have been justified with pa- with, by faith, we now have peace with God, which begs the question, what is justification by faith? Well, justification is courtroom language. To be justified means to be declared not guilty. The judge brings down the gavel, and he says, not guilty. Someone who is justified is now righteous in the eyes of the law. So, for example, imagine I have never paid taxes before in my life. I have 25 years or so of back taxes. I am a rebel in the eyes of the law. I am in debt to the government. But if some wonderful person comes along and pays my taxes, all of a sudden I'm justified in the eyes of the law. The debt has been paid. Or imagine you're a school teacher and you see one kid beating up another kid out on the playground. Well, you're going to run out to the playground to try to break up the fight. You're probably thinking to yourself, oh no, this kid is going to get suspended or expelled for acting like that. But it turns out he's beating up a kid with a gun. Now, (laughs) we might question his wisdom for going after a kid with a gun like that. But all of a sudden, we view his actions differently. All of a sudden, he's a hero instead of a bully. Now we believe his actions are justified in beating up that kid. And we are justified in the eyes of God by faith. Jesus has paid our debt. Now God views our life differently because of what Jesus has done for us. And we receive that by faith, which means we simply believe Jesus dies on the cross. His blood pays the penalty or the debt for our sins. We put our trust in what Jesus has done, and God views us differently. Our debt of sin is transferred to his account. His perfect righteousness that he earned by a perfect life is transferred to our account. And when that happens, we are made righteous in the eyes of God. We are justified. And faith is what God gives us so that we can receive all of what Christ has done. And once we are justified by faith, we have peace with God because our debt's been paid, our sin has been punished, God's anger and wrath have been satisfied, and in a sense, we have the kind of peace with God that a lawbreaker has with the state after the judge declares him not guilty. Our status has changed We have gone from being in the category of guilty and deserving punishment to being in the category of not guilty. Punishment has been paid. We were lawbreakers. We were people who had not done what is right. And he is the king. We were rebels and traitors to his throne. But now we've been pardoned. Later, Paul says this in our passage. He says, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. See, before being justified by faith, we were God's enemies. 
which means we were hostile towards God, and he was actively hostile towards us. We were guilty of rebellion. We were under his wrath and anger. And the verse right before this one, Paul says, since therefore we have been justified by Jesus' blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We were enemies destined to experience the wrath of God. But now, since we have been justified by his blood, we have peace. We've been saved from wrath. Notice this time, though, Paul says we've been justified by his blood. Earlier in the verse we read, Paul says we have been justified by faith. So you wonder, well, which is it? Are we justified by his blood or are we justified by faith? And the best way to explain this is with an analogy. So if I tell you that I filled up my car with the hose at the gas station, you would know that I did not curl up the hose and shove it into my gas tank. You would know that I used the hose as a channel to bring the gas into my car. It's the same thing here. Our faith isn't the thing that justifies us before God. Our faith doesn't save us. Our faith is like the gas hose at the gas station. Faith is what allows the blood of Jesus to enter our lives and cover over our sin. We are justified by faith because faith is what enables us to be justified by his blood. And when the blood of Jesus covers our sin and guilt, then we are no longer enemies then we are at peace with God. But it's even better than that. It's not like the judge just brings down the gavel, says not guilty, and goes home. Right? A judge in a courtroom has no relationship with the guilty party. Paul says, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, we're not just forgiven. We're treated as if we've never sinned before. We're treated as if we've perfectly earned perfect righteousness. We've been given access to grace. We've been given the keys to God's house and favor. Not only are we no longer his enemies, but we become his child. Before putting our faith in Jesus, we fell short of his glory. That's what Paul says in chapter 3. And now here in chapter 5, he says we have the hope of the glory of God, which means we have assurance that one day we will behold his glory. One day we will see his worth and his beauty with our very own eyes. One day we'll be able to see how significant and remarkable God really is. And... We have the assurance that we are being transformed into the kind of person who reflects his glory. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Friends, The kind of peace God offers sinners is is the end of all conflict with him. Plus full access to all 
Christ's benefits that he earned for us. We are no longer enemies, but sons and daughters standing in his grace and favor because by faith the blood of Jesus is poured into our lives with the full assurance of one day beholding his glory and living this life, experiencing ourselves being transformed into his glorious image. That's the kind of peace God offers sinners. So what is it like to have that kind of peace? And what I mean by this question is now that we know we are at peace with God, what should we expect the experience of having peace with God to be like? If we were his enemies facing his wrath, but now we're his children receiving his favor, what difference should that make in our lives? And the best way to answer this question is just to consider how incredible it is what God has done for us. So imagine, imagine that you are a spy for the United States of America, but you decide that you want to be a reverse spy where you start selling all of America's secrets to China or to Russia or to Iran. And then imagine that you get found out for doing that and you get taken into custody but because you're such a good spy, you kill a bunch of people to escape, and now you're a criminal in the United States of America. You're probably the most wanted criminal in the entire country. Everybody knows your face because it's plastered all over the news everywhere. There's nowhere you can go. They seize your bank accounts. Turns out that you weren't just a reverse spy for America, but you were selling China's secrets to Iran and Russia, and so the whole world hates you. There's nowhere you can go to be safe. Your life is basically over. You have no future. You have no hope. You're an enemy of the state, but you're basically an enemy of the whole world. Now, obviously, that's a totally made-up story. But I tell you that to try to just give us a glimpse of the hopelessness of being an enemy of God. With that in mind, listen to this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. When Paul says we were still weak, he means while we were totally incapable of doing anything about our situation before God. Just like our imaginary traitor on the run from every government in the world is incapable of saving himself, we were totally hopeless before God, too weak and powerless and guilty to do anything about our situation, yet at the right time, which means when we needed it the most, Christ died for the ungodly. He took our place. Who would do that? Just like no one would die in place of an international traitor, no one was lining up to die in place of Osama bin Laden. But Jesus did take our place. And Paul wants us to know just how amazing that is. So he goes on to say, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. 
But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So maybe, just maybe, possibly, in a rare circumstance, someone would lay down their life for a righteous person or a really good person. It's conceivable that something like that could possibly happen. But most of the time, no. Why? Because you and I love our lives way too much to give it up for somebody else. The instinct to save ourselves is incredibly strong. And we certainly wouldn't trade places with a notorious, murderous, international criminal. But that's exactly what Jesus did. God made his love for sinners visible. He showed it to us. He evidenced it for us in living color by becoming a human and then laying down his life for us even though we were sinners, even though we were his enemies. And Paul is trying to help us see that being justified by faith is not like borrowing eggs from your neighbor so you can finish baking your cake. It's more like getting a lung from your neighbor so you can live. It's not like getting a ride to a party. It's like getting a ride from a rescue helicopter after being stranded at sea. It's the greatest thing we could ever imagine. We go from being God's enemy to standing in his grace and favor as a child. We go from falling short of his glory to having the hope of his glory. And if we were ever rescued after being stranded out to sea, do you know what we would not care about in that moment? Our hair? How much money is in our bank account? We wouldn't even care about our sunburn or how tattered and torn our clothes were. And if we understood that the Son of the living God died for us while we were God's enemies, saving us from wrath and giving us eternal life, do you know what we wouldn't worry about either? Our clothes, our standard of living, whether we had enough friends or the right friends, whether or not we fit in or we were cool, our health even. If we could live every day with the gravity of what God has done for us and giving us favor instead of wrath and giving us glory instead of judgment, we would never be anxious. We should live our whole lives knowing the safety and peace of Christ. We should spend our whole lives feeling like a man who was just rescued from being stranded at sea and is riding safely in a helicopter back home. Worrying about anything in this life, given what God has done for us in Christ, would be like Prince William worrying about where he's going to pay his electric bill. If we could wrap our minds around what a gift it is to have peace with God, the result would be the peace of God inside our hearts. 
peace like a river, what attendeth our soul, though sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever our lot, we would be able to honestly say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This is why Paul can command this. Do not be anxious about anything. Right, we read that verse and we think, oh, if Paul only knew all the things I have to be anxious about and how hard it is not to be anxious about those things. Okay, Paul, I'm gonna really try hard not to be anxious. But no, Paul is talking to sinners who've been rescued from the wrath of God. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. And we should say, oh yeah, you're right, Paul. I shouldn't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is the result of having peace with God. This is what Paul is talking about in our passage when he says, not only that, (laughs) but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us because we know we are at peace with God, because we know we have the sure hope of his glory, we wouldn't sacrifice that hope or that peace for anything. In fact, all suffering does is make us grip onto that peace and that hope even tighter. Just like being a prisoner of war makes the soldier cherish being a citizen of America even more. So suffering and heartache makes us cherish being a citizen of heaven even more. But because we know Christ died for us while we were his enemies and that we have been justified by faith and that we have peace with God, we wouldn't give that up for anything. So when the trial comes, we will endure. We wouldn't trade the peace of God for the peace any sin is offering us. We know it's a lie. We know that's stabbing a pin into my eye. No sorrow can take this peace away. And as we endure, our character is refined. We become the kind of person who knows we can endure because our faith has been tested. And do you know what that does? It produces even more hope. Faith plus hope produces more hope. Actually, faith plus hope plus the love of God being poured into our hearts produces even more hope and more faith and more love. Because there's nothing more peaceful than knowing God's love being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he's given to us. That's the peace of God. And if you're here this morning and you have never known that peace, if you're here this morning and you're hearing everything I'm saying and you think to yourself, I want that. I want to know what it's like to be a forgiven sinner. 
who's no longer an enemy with God. I want to know what it's like to be able to endure hardships and trials and tribulations and the temptation to sin and to still endure because I have something so much more valuable than that. It's very simple. Believe. Believe that Jesus died for you and then turn from your sin and embrace his infinite grace. So we have the peace of God when we have peace with God, finally. How does having peace with God make us peacemakers? So far we've said that our status has changed. We were enemies and now we have peace with him. The result of that change in status is that we experience the peace of God inside our hearts. But how does that affect all of our other relationships. I don't know about you, um, but most of the time, when I think of the angels announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, which is the verse that we just sang in Erzishod, first of all, it's translated correctly in that song, just so we know. But the King James Version, I usually, when I think of that verse, I think of the King James Version. Because in, in English, we've, we've encapsulated the King James Version anytime we sing this verse. And the King James says this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And with that translation, it kind of sounds like what the angels are announcing is world peace. When all men will experience the goodwill of God. But a better translation is found in the song we just sang, as well as the ESV and the NIV. In the ESV, we read this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That changes it, doesn't it? So the peace the angels are announcing at the birth of Jesus is not peace for the whole world. It's peace for those whom God is pleased. The NIV puts it this way, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is consistent with everything we've seen so far. The peace of God is for those who have peace with God. Those who have peace with God are those who stand in his grace. They've been justified by his blood. They are the ones on whom his favor rests. But what about the rest of the world? Is peace only for those on whom God's favor rests? Yes. Of course. Because if you're not justified by his blood, you are his enemy. There's no in-between. There's no third option. Earlier in Romans, Paul said this, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. There's only two options in life. We're either God's enemy continuing to live in rebellion, refusing to humble ourselves, or we repent of our sin, put our faith in the blood of Jesus, and choose that path 
where there is nothing but goodness and hope and peace and honor and glory. The other path is trouble and distress. If we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, his blood covers our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. His love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and we know it because he showed it to us by Christ dying for us while we were still sinners. If that's the path we choose, we will trust him and do good, and we will know glory and honor and peace. There's only two options, distress or peace. And Jesus came as a baby in a manger actually to drive a wedge between the two groups. In Matthew, Jesus says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus came to earth to grant peace to everyone who puts their trust in him for the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. But for those who will not turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus, there will be no peace. And even those we love, whether it's our father or mother, our son or daughter, our in-laws, Jesus says there will always be a rub in our relationship if they are not Christians. If we don't share Christ, we cannot share true peace. If we do not share Christ, they are not our enemies, but they are God's enemies. And because they are God's enemies, they will ultimately hate us because we are God's children. Jesus promises that that the world will hate you, but they'll hate you because they hated me first. But if we do share Christ, it doesn't matter what our differences are. If we share Christ, it doesn't matter where we're from, it doesn't matter how much money we make, it doesn't matter if we're a boy or a girl, if we're black or we're white. If we share Christ, Paul says this, for he himself is our peace. He unites his children together in peace with each other. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, which he's talking about Jews and Gentiles here, but it stands in for any groups that would ordinarily, by human standards, be opposed to each other. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. The church is the community of peace on earth. The church is where we find goodwill toward men. Jesus is talking about Christians and to Christians when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Paul is talking about Christians to Christians when he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And Peter is talking to Christians when he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
Yes, we are to be peacemakers, but we do so knowing there can only be peace among sinners if we are those who have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what this should do, friends, is motivate us to evangelize. As we look across the world and we see all the divisions, we see all the fighting, this should motivate us to be those who declare there is only one way to peace. There's only one way to know peace, and there's only one way to have peace, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ and receiving that message by faith and faith alone. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this Christmas season where peace is spoken on the lips of so many people. But like the prophet Isaiah, or sorry, Jeremiah reminded us, they say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Father, we know that the only source of peace is to have peace with you through the blood of Jesus by faith so that we might know peace within through reconciliation with you, no longer being your enemy. And so that we might be those who have the humility and the strength of character to be at peace with all men. Thank you for this message of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.